Hey all, it's Paul from Drums and Rums, where the backbeats meet the spirits. Episode number 23. On this podcast, my guest is Mike Pinter, who's a full-time drummer percussionist based in the Orlando, Central Florida area. Mike's day can go from doing a wedding gig to a bar gig to performing at a theme park show. He talks about how the importance of how the music and drums play an important role with the dancers and performers in the shows, like when a dancer is expecting a certain part of the music to cue them. Also, Mike gives us a rundown of what a Zen drum is. I think I need to add this to my Christmas list. And we chat about his favorite rum drink, which I then introduce him to Code Rum Key Lime and tell him to switch over to that for his favorite rum drink. Here's Mike playing on the track Glass House by artist Kate Judge off of her EP Paradise. Get 
I'm I I'm already I'm excited. You're already ready. Okay. All right. Yes, sir. So yeah. So so welcome, Mike. So uh, we're looking forward to again. We touched base as we said just a few minutes ago. On uh, I don't I remember which which drum group it was. Is it the it was a local Florida one, right? Uh, yeah, I believe it was South Florida Drummers. I think that's the one that we connected okay. on. It was, it was that one or maybe it was yeah it's i'm like i'm like following like 20 drummer pages and on one of them i saw your post right. <laughs> so they all no. just blur together yeah but no, i appreciate you <laughs> answer answering for the post there so um I'm, so let me go ahead let me go ahead and do, do our intro and start here so hey all it's paul from drums and rums with the backbeats meets the spirits today i'm joined by or with mike Kinder. He is a Orlando-based drummer, and uh, so him and I were just talking here just a, just a few minutes ago, talking about how we connected on a uh, local Florida Facebook group where I kind of reached out and asked who was interested in being on podcast, and Mike went ahead and hit me up, and I said, all right, let's go ahead and do this. So so how you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Thank you. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good here, and uh, like I said, today we reached our a little bit of our cold weather snap for the uh, the year here in december we think we reached 44 so we're all it's it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> this is the arctic for us floridians this is this is the moment where we don't know how to handle ourselves like when yeah. you get out in the morning and there's ice on the windshield you just want to go back in and jump in the covers and just wait because you don't yeah. know what to do with yourself you're like all right especially especially you know we don't get this cold weather often enough that we try to take advantage of it to to, to feel it a little bit more, open the windows up or something to that effect. And, uh, you know, we slept with our windows open and it's like one of those, yeah, okay, I don't want to get out. It's too cozy. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but see, like, usually, usually, like, it gets as low as, like, 50s for us, right? Right. And so when it gets lower than that, that that's when you start looking at your closet and you're like, I, I'm not prepared for this right. at all. Like... <laughs> Like I, I was wearing a sweater inside today. That's really weird for me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, our, our our winter winter wardrobe is very limited on what we can actually uh, uh, use very often enough. That very limited, yeah. More, more room than we probably need to bother with. So, so um, mm-hmm. Mike, so do you want to go ahead and just uh, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh, a little bit about yourself before we go ahead and jump into some hard hitting questions or, or what? <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Um, so I've been a drummer since I was 10 years old. So that gives me 22 years since I picked up the sticks. Um, when I was when I was younger, obviously, uh, my dad was a huge music fan. He's a musician himself. Um, and he was a big fan of the Beatles because that was his band during that time period. Um, and so, of course, I wanted to be Ringo when I was younger. But it wasn't until I, you know, when I was older, that's when I actually started drumming um, and taking private lessons. Um, I went to school for drumming um, up until college. And then uh, in college, I decided to not pursue uh, the academic study of percussion um, for various reasons. And we might get into that later on. Um, so I, I majored in, in philosophy and religion. Uh, but then right after college, I went to audition for uh, a theme park here in Florida. Um, and I got I got the job. And uh, that was back in 2012 that I did that. 
And since then, I have been drumming full time. Um, so I drum from multiple theme parks um, to corporate bands, to cover bands, bar bands, to wedding bands, to studio sessions. Uh, I tour with a tribute show. Um, I've done musicals. Um, I've done production for dance shows. I've done production for um, studio work. Um, I, I just kind of try and stay as busy as possible. And I'm, I'm actually one of the fortunate guys where I don't have to go too far out of the, dr the zone of drumming. Uh, everything I do is really in the percussive family. Um, I don't have to play bass. I don't have to play keys. I don't even own any instruments besides the percussion instruments. Um, but I, I just have um, a wide background when it comes to music. Um, right. I played everything from jazz to calypso to reggae to doo-wop to gospel to metal to progressive rock to i i just played a lot you know <laughs> and it's i've been very fortunate in that regard because i'm definitely one of those guys where um i'm not stuck on one genre uh i i i'm very eclectic in my taste um and i've been very fortunate that i've been able to tap into different faucets of my um of the musical genres in order to satisfy myself creatively. So, um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. So in the, uh, the little pre question questionnaire thing there, as you mentioned, you're not kind of stuck for one genre, which obviously gives you, you know, opens up a lot more doors for you to, uh, to keep employed, or if one area becomes hot versus the other, so which is which is really good, and it's not not very often, but I think those that are that take drumming very professionally can make it into their full time profession have to have to do that. But you see that no no music genre is off the table because it is a job and you're a musician first, and, um, and I'm sure it gives you. You know, to learn a lot of different styles of music too is probably, you know, very you know challenging, and also a lot of practice that you have to put into it as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and it, you know, it's one of those things where it's um, like you said, it, it's it's a it's born out of necessity in in the world. Um, very, very rarely do. Um, it's very rare for musicians to be able to do one thing and be known for that um, and be able to survive, you know, and let and, until you get to like the superstar level, like the, you know, um, like Steve Eyes or um, Slash or and even then those guys have a lot of stuff that they do um, under different names or that they don't actually promote uh, as themselves, you know, um, and there's there's only a few like when you look at the whole musical community in the in the world there's only a few guys who are able to really do that and able to market themselves as one sound one product right um the rest of us who are not as fortunate to be superstars um we you you have to take whatever gig this it's almost kind of like the wild west where you take whatever gigs you can find you know um and, and as, as you get older, you get more experience and you get a little more discernment into what is a 
gig that will be worth your time um, in the sense that it won't be stressful. But very rarely does the musical genre of the gig that I'm playing dictate whether I'm going to say yes or no to the gig. Um, and actually, again, like you said, it's born out of necessity. Like, uh, you know, I got bills today. <laughs> you know, I can't, right. I can't be saying no to money that's coming down the drain. Um, but at the same time, it's it, it, it's exhilarating for me. It's, it's a fun challenge to try and play music authentically um, from one gig to the other. There was a time in my life when I was uh, before 2020 happened and you know, everything went down the drain. Um, there, there were there were times when I would play um, a, a Motown show. You know, uh, I'd play that four four. It's like a twenty minute show. I'd play it four times a day, um, and you have to play Motown very specifically. You know, especially when you're in a theme park, uh, um, you can't deviate off the charts. Like someone someone else writes your parts for you, and you have to play it like that each and every time. Um, and then. You know, so, so you play that and you play Motown as authentically as you can in that, in that scenario. And then I would jump in my car, go get dinner, and then drive to a gig while I'd play top 40 music all night. Um, and that's, you know, a bunch of dance stuff and just, you right. know, the, the generic cover band top 40 stuff that you do. Then the next day I'd wake up and go do a wedding band. And of course, a wedding band has a very wide eclectic sound um, on top of... of whatever the clients want to hear because it's their wedding and if they want to hear some obscure country song then you have to play that you know um, right. and you, do, you do that gig and then the next day you get a church gig so there's five or six songs there that you got to play um and then if you're lucky maybe you have a jazz gig later on that night um or like a lounge gig where you're playing a lot more swing based stuff um and it's one of those things where it's a fun challenge not to sound like the same drummer right. each and every night you're definitely you know, getting your, uh, because right, I you, can't play. You get your variety. You no, get yeah, your yeah, variety. I, I think you get what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, and, that, and, that's, it's, and that it's keeps, also one of those things where. Good. Yeah, yeah, it keeps things interesting for you, right? It's not the same old songs, and you're playing the same old, you know, maybe a bar band, same old classic rock songs. It switches it up, gives you some. Yeah, it, it gives me a lot of um, opportunities to try different things because you know there there are there are things that work great in one genre but are awful in another genre, um, and you know it's it's nice to understand that difference between between the genres, um, but it's also one of those things where it's um it, it's it's musically fulfilling for me because it's like trying to be a chameleon, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I, I really do believe anyone can sound the way they want to sound, but sounding the way you should sound is a different challenge. And I don't think it's a better challenge. I think it's just a different, it's a different avenue to, to pursue. Right. Um, and I, I'm not saying I'm great at sounding authentic in anything or everything, you know, um, I, I, I purposely, I, I, it's very obvious I don't get called for Latin gigs because <laughs> I, I, I just don't do that well, you know, and I'm okay with that. Like, that's something I would like to strive to be better at. Right. Um, but I, I would be very honest and, and upfront that like, I'm not perfect. Like, I, I don't think I am the king of any one genre. I don't think that, you know, if you need a guy to play metal, you call this guy, you know, not, right. not that guy. Um, but what I strive to do is I, I work my hardest to be, as authentic and best for the gig that I'm 
me. You know, and sometimes that doesn't mean sounding the way I want to sound. Very usually does that mean sounding the way I want to sound. Right. Usually it means playing what's going to make everyone else at the gig feel comfortable and it, make them make right. them shine. It, it fits in with the, the mood, mood, the vibe, etc. So are you, do you are you exclusively every performance playing to charts? No, uh, very rarely. Um, hmm. I would love to play more to charts because so that my, means your 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 set and song list in your head there is got to be crazy. Then um, I actually don't have anything in my head. I am I'm very stupid. I will I will totally say that. Um, I, I I I do a good job of notating, um, and I have I have a short hand for charts. Um, so when you ask if if everything's charted out for me. Um, Typically for theme park gigs, someone else is writing the music for you and you show up and you don't have to have to know what the music sounds like. You just read down and that's the way it is. Um, for a bunch of my uh, like contract work that I do, where it's weddings, it's cover bands, it's uh, whatever, um, they, they will send me the set list and they'll say, play it. They, they don't even tell me to play it. They're just like, here's a set list. And so I write just a quick little like it's not even I, calling it a chart is even a bad word for it. Yeah. It really is just verse, play eight bars, chorus, play seven bars, and then I'll write out a little figure of if there's like a hit with the band hits or something like that. And then you know, bridge is a bar and then a fill. It's 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 just a quick little roadmap for me because th there's times when I'm learning 30, 40 songs a week, wow. you know, and it's one of those things where I can't, I can't keep it together. And there's so many times when the chord progressions sound exactly the same to me or the group, especially when you're playing pop music, um, you're playing mostly four on the floor the whole night. You're playing that disco beat. You're playing that beat. Right. Um, and it's uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you get, you get to the point where like, if you're doing it more enough, your brain is exhausted and just gets lost. It's just right. trying to find a way to relax, you know, and make it through the gig. Um, so I, I do write everything down. Um, but with a lot of that music, I don't like being strict. Uh, uh, when I'm working those type of gigs, I don't like being anchored down to what the original is. I like knowing what the original is, but I use my ears the most because the bass player might be playing something different. The groove's way better with what's going on that night. And I want to match him, not play what was on the recording and then have a disconnect between me and the bass player hmm. or the keyboardist or whatever. You know, vocalists usually like things to be just a little bit faster when they sing live because they don't want to have to push, they don't have to like pull their breath longer. So the fat, like it's, to a point, they don't want it like, 50 clicks faster right. <laughs> like they want just a little bit so they don't have to worry so much about breathing um and again i can't be pulling them back to the original tempo if they are trying to push me to the faster tempo and the band is trying to push me to the faster tempo that's that that causes a really bad disconnect you still have to do your job as a drummer and define what the tempo is and keep everyone together um, but you have to use your ears as well and dictate what's best for the gig. And for me, I don't want to be reading and have my eyes and my concentration buried in a chart um, because then I notice that I don't hear as well. But if I, if, I, if I have my eyes up and I'm watching the band leader, 
I'm watching the dance group, the, the people dancing. I'm watching the lead singer. My ears are open to what's going on. And I just take a quick look. Okay, I, I do this for eight measures. And then and then we, we go to the next thing. Right. That's so a lot it, easier for me. So is that, so it sounds like, is it a, a, a little bit like a uh, modified Nashville number system? Yeah, you know what, that, that, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it's my shorthand version of it. Right. Um, and I've had, I've had drummers ask me, like, they, they have to sub in for a gig that, that, that I usually do because I'm sick or I'm gone. And they asked me for my charts and I'm like, <laughs> have fun. I'll give them to you. But, uh, you know, I wrote these for me and they're in my shorthand. And if you can decipher it, you should be a drummer. You should be an archaeologist or, right. or a cryptologist or something because you're way smarter than this. Is this hieroglyphics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so that's so. So you right. So you said you, you, you're basically almost no, no. Maybe, like you said, the exception is maybe some Latin music, but pretty much no gig, no offers off the table. And that's, you know, you're a full-time musician, full-time drummer, and the, you know, that which is which is great because then, you know, you're staying within that area and there's enough work and you're, you're very experienced or can, can be very multifaceted in that aspect. Um, mm. the areas that you, you know, playing around the Orlando area. So are you originally from Orlando? Yeah, I was, uh, I was born and raised in Orlando. Um, I, I currently live right outside, uh, Disney's D Disney's Disney world parks. Mm. Um, but I, I, I work Orlando and, um, I also work a lot in Tampa and in St. Pete, which is on the West coast for people who don't know where that is. Um, and then I, I work a lot all over Florida um, with a bunch of different groups like Sarasota, Miami, Boca Raton, um, Homestead. Um, okay. I've done, I've done, I haven't actually done a lot of stuff up North. That's a, that's an interesting thing. Usually the highest North I go is Spring Hill um, or Daytona. That's okay. about it. I, I don't go much further North. I, I don't have a problem with it. Just the gigs up there. Don't, don't contact me. So. Right. So in a little bit about, can you talk, a little bit about what it's like being a musician at a theme park. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I spent, um, I, I've worked at two different theme parks. Um, <clears throat> one of them, I was doing marching percussion strictly. No, that's not true. I did marching percussion and then I did kind of like a stop style percussion piece. Um, and then the other theme park, I worked everything from uh, percussion for ballroom dance and stuff to um, gospel. Uh, I, I did. I, I worked um, like a like a pop rock show with like acrobats and fireworks and like twelve dancers. Um, I worked uh, duop. I worked lounge. I worked. I, I I did like a belly dancing show. Well, I was a a doombag player. I wasn't doing the belly dancing. We want to keep people in, not drive them away. Um, yeah. So uh, working yeah, that, in the theme that would have led me world, to a whole that would have led me down a whole another set of questions. Then. <laughs> yeah, when I said no gigs off the table, I meant it. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, I'll do anything. No. Uh, so working for a theme park, um, it, it it becomes a struggle for a musician um so, so musicians 
stereotypically are very creative people. We like being able to express ourselves and communicate what we feel and what we're going through, through our instrument, through our music. Um, that's just a very typical thing for us. Working in a theme park can utilize that about 20% of the time. The other 80%, everything's dictated. Everything is preset, preordained, and you cannot deviate from it. Um, and the reason why is when you work in like a regular band where it's you plus four to five other musicians, um, there's a lot like no, and like, let's say one of them is the band leader who writes the check. That's the one guy you got to listen to. He, he is the one cook in the kitchen. And that's like what he says goes when you work in a theme park, your music director has a boss and she has a boss and he has a boss and then she has a boss and then he has a boss and they all know best and it's all different right and every one of them has to um appease their boss but also not look bad to the to their um the people underneath them um and it, it's really it, it can get frustrating so when, when it gets down to you, when you're one of the musicians, because you're very low on the ladder um, there, you just have to smile and nod and do exactly what you're told. Um, and it, it, it's very strange. Um, I used to, I, when I was in college, I worked day jobs and, um, you know, I worked everything from like a coffee shop up to I was doing data entry for um, a big corporation. And so, you know, I, I came from the world of working nine to five. And then you go to the theme park world and that's probably as close to a nine to five you're going to get while still performing. Um, and it's very, very strange if you're used to performing and gigging uh, out in like nightlife and stuff like that. Um, again, you have to be very mindful of who you're talking to, right? Um, the music director has had his butt chewed by the show producer and if you say something bad about the music you know that's going to offend him in a different way and all of a sudden you're not getting your hours or you get cut from the show or you lose a contract mm -hmm. um <clears throat> you also have to be aware that you're working with many different disciplines and by disciplines i mean people who have studied different art forms um the most common is you work with singers who come from a mute like a musical theater background right so most of the musicians that most of the singers i worked with were coming from like theater schools or from like um, Broadway or uh, j just, you know, like they're used to performing on stages right. like that. They aren't used to working with live bands and they don't fully understand sharing a stage with a live band. They're used to the live band being somewhere in the wings, in the pit, or it being a track. They're not used to how that works. Um, and so working with what they need in order to hear themselves in order to perform at their, at their best level, um, that takes a lot of give and take from the musicians and the singers. Likewise with dancers, dancers was a thing that really blew my mind because before working at theme parks, um, I had never worked with, uh, a dancer before, and I didn't really understand the world of dance. Um, and the best, the, the, the best thing that one of the dancers I worked with he told me like how important it is for the band to be have the consistent tempo from show to show, from day to day, from year to year, which is why we use click tracks. 
And the reason why is let's say a band will play a song at 120 one night. And then the next night we play it at 125. Okay. That doesn't feel different to us. Just, you know, the the second night. Yeah. We're just feeling it. Right. We're just in the energy. The crowd's into it. We're going great for a dancer over three, a song that lasts three minutes long, that five BPMs per minute is now 15 beats, right? That's almost a whole passage of music. And for them, that's difficult because they have to go from one side of the stage to the other side of the stage. And they have to pick this person up and they have to jump in the air and they have to spin and they have to get their hands and they have to go get a prop off stage or something like that. And imagine if someone just took 15 beats out of the music without telling you, right? Like for us musicians, that'd be very shocking and very disturbing. And that would kind of upset us. Same thing with the dancers. Like they're like, they can only move that fast. You know, they can't, they can't. And they, they've gotten their routine down at this specific tempo for us to take 15 beats away from them in one, in one song. That's really, it's awful. It's hard for them. It makes their job harder. And they're not getting paid anymore. They're getting paid the same amount. So they want their job to be as easy as possible. Right. That, that's, um, that's, and so the same thing. With, that, that's, that's a, uh, yeah. I, for those, uh, yeah. maybe even musicians that perform in whatever the different venue genre, but then they go see a live performance like that with, yeah, I guess I never thought about it. Cause again, the whole point of performance in that aspect is, the music, the the dance, the the all everything is very timing based. And now, like I said, if you're you're off, you know, a little bit now, things are sped up. And yeah, I that's now, now you've got me. Next time I go to the theme parks and watch one of the performances, like it's like, oh, okay, you know, this has got to hit this point, this jump, or this whatever. So yeah, that, that's 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 a never thought about that. Yeah, pull, pulling the curtain back a little bit on that. There you go. Yeah. Um, it's, and, like, yeah same. it's like behind the scenes, you know. I, we did <laughs> year, years ago. We did. Uh, my wife and I had done the uh, you know, tour behind. Uh, you know where we went. I know it's not underground. You know, it's the first floor in Disney, but you know behind the, the magic piece of the kingdom <laughs> tour. So. Right. Yeah. I I never got a chance to go on that, but I've heard. But yeah, same thing. Um, yeah, and the same thing with like when you think about um and, and that's just talking about just the performers you know and then you got to think about the techs and those people never get enough love or credit um and i don't work for theme parks right now i've been laid off from both due to the uh the lockdowns and i'm not saying that to get credit with any of my coworkers. um i'll probably never see them again <laughs> um they uh they, but they, they are the backbone of that community um they're changing people's costumes backstage. Um, the lighting techs have to know exactly who to light up when and where. Um, there's pyrotechnics that happen and they have to happen with the music. Dancers can't be in the wrong spot when a pyrotech goes off because they can get burned. You know, again, it's one of those things and they can, and one of the, uh, I don't want to tell bad stories about people, but there was one performer that I worked with who didn't understand the role that the drummer needed to play 
um, in this one particular show where there was a lot of moving parts and there was a lot of traffic of dancers moving across the whole stage. We call that traffic. Uh, There's a lot of traffic going on. There was pyrotechs. There was aerialists flying in the air. And they were expecting this one particular drum cue. Um, you know, something easy like baku, baku, bakaku, got, and then next thing happens, right? And, and it, he was an amazing drummer. He's he's a fantastic drummer and he continues to still work. He's he's a touring professional. And I, I love the guy, but he just didn't understand that they needed to hear baku, baku, dakaku, got. And he was doing like all these fancy uh fills that were just amazing they sounded great they were technically proficient and he was nailing them but he wasn't looking at the at the people on stage with him he wasn't aware of the confusion that was being caused because they weren't hearing what they used to what they were expecting to hear and if everyone should know this drums are really really loud and (laughs) and like you can't not (laughs) (laughs) and you can't not hear them right right so you know and it musicians can hear music differently than dancers and singers in the audience then right um and so you know dancers singers like people outside musical world don't understand how to say okay i need you to play i want you to play an eighth note pattern split between the snare and the kick drum and do a 60th note fill down the toms like fish in a bowl um and then end on the downbeat um you know if someone said that to us we can kind of figure it out um but they don't know what the heck that means and for yeah for for those that are listening that are totally that one over their head that aren't drummers yeah (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) you're you're not alone don't worry (laughs) um but like so if they're hearing all this crazy stuff and they don't know if they're hearing like a polyrhythmic fill that sounds cool and really is really awesome, but it makes them lose time, which is what a polyrhythmic fill kind of implies to do, then they they stop for a second, you know, they don't know where to go. And then they try and pick up their pace and now they collide, they hit somebody. Um, and now that person might fall down and hurt their knee wow. and now they can't perform the rest of the show. Someone might, I, I was working with a, <clears throat> Uh, this uh, uh, contortionist who her main trick was she would do a handstand and then she would take a bow and arrow, put it over her head and she would shoot it at a target that was right right next to the keyboardist, right? Uh, And the keyboardist would be out of the way, obviously, just in case anything bad happened. Now, she's an amazing talent. She never missed the bullseye. She was amazing. Um, But imagine if I, if someone did something that threw her off, right. And she just let the arrow go and the keyboardist wasn't where they needed to be or a tech wasn't where they needed to be. And like, it could have been catastrophic. Right. And I've seen some really bad things happen. I've seen people um, fall off from silks. I've seen people on stilts fall over and break their arms. I've seen, I've seen people, uh, like dancers just fall and twist and break their ankles. I've seen, I've seen some really bad stuff and it's no joke. Like, and some of these things that happen are career ending, you know, like some people like there's dancers that I know that were very talented and very ambitious. And, you know, um, the, the floor was wet one day, the stage was wet and they slip and they hurt their knee and they, they had to go pick up another, they, that was it. it. They were, they were done, you know? Um, 
and Mike, you were you mentioned there about the, uh, the the guy that filled in, and you know people are expecting certain things. And when you're ex explaining that as an example, I couldn't help but think when to put the same analogy in. You know, well, here's here's the song. What I'm coming to mind is in the air tonight. Everybody knows Bill. Everybody knows exactly when it's coming. Everybody knows and, and so forth. So, you know, if, if Bill Collins or Genesis ever played any different at a concert or whatever, it would have been like, what the? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and and it's interesting that there's certain patterns and in, 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 in songs or, or certain sounds that, people, yeah, people are very used to a specific key uh, part. And I guess that even goes to as you mentioned, playing in some of the other bands that you may be uh, cover music to, if you're not getting the key parts to a song, you know, maybe it can probably be, you know, loosey goosey everywhere else. And I know that's a whole nother debate about you know, how, how well you interpret songs or play. Or, you know, I know, but you have to hit the main hooks in the parts of the song. You are absolutely correct. Um, <clears throat> one of the uh, cover bands I used to work for um the the instrumentation like the, the idea was you take popular dance music but you would play it as like a pop rock band um which isn't that weird that's, that's not that um novel at all that's been that's been done before whatever um but the the core concept was that the melody always has to be recognizable um so it doesn't matter how the band play like i mean we, we would change the arrangements around but the melody was the thing that needed to be recognizable. And as the singer had to play, sing the melody the way that was most comfortable for him to sing. And if it was any other way, it's not working, you know? And so, um, say, and then likewise, working with uh, especially ballroom dancers, whoo, the patterns that they have, like, um, especially when you get into like flamenco, when you get into, um, oh, see, I'm spacing out on all this. I haven't played ballroom music and, so it's, it's all yeah exactly yeah, like, i do i do a little bit of, like, i do a little dance. bit of ballroom dancing myself oh there you go okay so but so you understand like there, there's yeah, that thing I, where, I'm, just I'm just joking <laughs> I, I believe it because it's so true like it's that thing where certain rhythms that lock into the percussive section happen in the dance you know um and there's a whole language there's a whole history that happens inside the inside the dance that's they're expecting these things to happen from the percussionist or from the drummer and if it's not happening it's not right and again it throws them off and they know they don't know why it's wrong just like you like, like your analogy with uh in the air tonight you know if it's not if it's right if it's something like that like it's like eh, it's in time uh it's not right you know and no one can say why it's wrong you know right. um everyone knows it's wrong and uh and then that can that can lead to a whole nother issue of people trying to talk to musicians who don't understand how to speak musician especially other people trying to talk to drummers uh because we have a very specific drum language that does not compute well to other instrumentalists to other singers to dancers to blah 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 you know and that gets really challenging because 
they're the people are asking for specific things but they don't know how to ask for it and then we're left trying to figure out what they're trying to talk about you know so um it just something came to mind there mike is talking about being the dancers and and i don't recall where i heard this the other day but somebody was talking about how dancers count in eights Mm -hmm. you know five six seven eight right yeah so yeah so yeah i mean i I think it's kind of you know it's, it's uh cool that you're explaining something a different aspect of how the drums in dancing in, you know in these shows and performances how much that's a you know it's, a, it's all about counting and the rhythm and so forth so yeah the, so the reason why i laughed was because one of the first shows i did at bush gardens um the, the theme park i work at uh, there was me and this other drummer so it was a two drummer show with two singers and then tracks and then like, I think it was six couples of ballroom dancers. And this one dancer asked us to do something specific. He wanted us to do this one hit with him somewhere in the end of like the, in the finale. And he was like, okay, so um, I'm gonna come up and I'm gonna do this thing. And I want you guys to hit a splash symbol or something like that with me. And we're like, oh, absolutely. Like that, that was kind of our job was to make them look good. So we were like, okay, yeah, we'll make them look good. They were amazing. They were world dancers. What am I saying? But we, we were just supposed to be there to interact with them. Um, and we were like, oh yeah, sure. Where does it happen? Like what beat is it on? And he goes, oh, it's on beat seven. And both me and the other drummer, like the song's in four. And so me and the other drummer look at each other and we're like, and he's looking at us like he's like, did I say something wrong? And we're like, oh, right. Yeah, the dance is counting eight. So it's the it's beat three of the second measure of that thing. Okay. Right. right. Yeah. It's that whole thing where you have to kind of like compute for a sec. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Which again, as musicians, you're not used to. Usually you say, hey, on beat three, hit an accent with me. We're like, oh, yeah, cool. We know right. what that means. And right. Yeah, beat seven. That could be beat four if you're counting in eight eight as opposed to four four. Whatever, you're like it, it just gets confusing. Yeah. Yeah, sixteen, sixteen. Uh, you know, sixteen twelve. <laughs> yeah. Those are odd. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're in we're, you know, the drum memes, right? We're in odd times here. <laughs> yeah, trying to play some King Crimson stuff there. I'm down. Okay. <laughs> so the um, so yeah, that's. Trying, trying to you know perform with non-musicians is um again I had something I you know wouldn't think much about because obviously you know usually you're performing but some of those um some of the things I was looking up you know that you worked on and that I think you touched upon a little bit was the uh Orlando and I don't know is it still well I know no 2020's changed so much so I know it's kind of a loaded question here but how does this the the place that has the uh, all the colors and art and you know the girls the people dancing and the performing it's kind of like a blue man group but a little bit yes yes right okay. yes mm-hmm. wow that was oh my god how many years ago was that yeah. trust me I was googling I was trying to you know trying to find as much as I can that so that 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 show was called Drip um, it was a show that was on International Drive which is one of the biggest tourist sections in Central Florida. Um, it's kind of right next to Universal Studios, not that far from Disney, not that far from downtown Orlando. So it's just like one of those places where a lot of tourists happens. Um, and there's a lot of like, there's like Wonderworks, which is a big thing. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the, 
it, it's it's the place to go in Orlando. Um, so Drip, <clears throat> funny enough, the uh, the showrunner, um, she was someone who I think moved from New York, um, and she just had this idea, and she started it from her garage, and she developed it into this big show. This um, is more of a of like a experience than it was a show, um, and she was able to get in contact with the music director at the Blue Man Group that's based here in Orlando, uh, based at Universal Studios. So he wrote and uh, music directed the whole show. Um, so I got a chance to work with him um, in that way. They opened, I wasn't with them when they opened, so I can't remember. And I feel like I joined them in 2013 or 14. It was one of those two years. Um, and I was the main drummer for that show for two or three years, maybe maybe three and a half. Um, and then I left um, to, I got, I got a job opportunity that took me away. So I went to go do that. And then they closed, I think, back in 2018. Um, and they have since then gone on to do other, um, other projects. Um, and they're, they're developing new shows. Uh, that show was probably the one time that I felt I was allowed to be creative, um, creatively free. Um, and that my musical taste was super pro like my mm, uh, my 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 love from metal. Right. yeah my background was like the most uh, appropriate because it was a very heavy show so there's a lot of it was kind of like a grunge rock and a little bit of industrial metal um, and that that's kind of the stuff I listened to in late high school early college um, that, like that's the stuff that I enjoyed listening to and that my friends listened to um so you know it, it was probably the first it's probably the only show I've ever done where I had a double kick you know mm. um and that it was a it was a part of the show um and I it was this it was a really cool experience um the the whole show um took place with um in, in this big think, think of a big warehouse and on one end you have a stage with uh, a three-piece grunge band and then you have a bunch of in the middle of the warehouse, you have sand, you have rope, you have these like glass structures laying around everywhere. And at the far end, uh, the other opposite end of the warehouse, you had uh, a big scaffolding um, with these paint buckets and like a bathtub with paint in it. And then on the very next, like uh, parallel to that um, in the same room, there was an open bar. <laughs> right with uh yeah and so the the way it worked was people came in and there was like an hour of it just being like a, a bar experience and then the show started and there was a bunch of there, there was dancers there was uh lighting um effects there was uh playing with like the sand there was it, it's really hard to explain the how the show worked it, it was take elements of blue men group stomp um and playing in a sandbox when you're a kid or uh just like the playing with like hand paint when you're in kindergarten you know it's it's kind of taking all those elements and intertwining it with a love story told through dance um it was it, it was it was it, it, i was still pretty young um in my career when i got a chance to do that and it was absolutely fun and it made me learn a lot especially about the whole entire dancing thing uh where like they rely so much on you know the band being consistent 
Um, and the lighting tech, she even told me that she was using one of my drum fills as a cue for her to load the next scene on her, on her console. Um, all, all the techs who had to do like all this crazy like prop work and everything behind the scenes, like they had their, like it, if you ever are able to stand in the backstage of a, of a, of a performance while it's going on, first off, you're going to get run over. Second, you'll see that there's another show happening. There really is. This tech has this place to be at this time. Right. And then they have to do these things. And then they got to run, take care of this thing, go take care of this person, go grab this thing. And if there's any emergencies that happen, they have to deal with it too. So they were super into, you can't, you can't do this. You can't do that because that throws us off. Organized um, that, chaos, that's really where right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also where I really got into um, working with um, like loops and samples because we had a roll in SPD SX and that's the first time I ever had a chance to work with something like that um, where, you know, I'm kind of triggering loops and things that happen uh, musical cues for everything to happen. Um, and that, that was a lot of fun. And man, I missed that show, you know, actually, uh, I, I, I hadn't thought about that show in a long time, but, uh, a lot, a lot of good memories about that show. That, that show was, um, again, it, it, it didn't pay well because it was, um, un unfortunately the location that they had, um, was screwing them over. So where was it on, where was it on I-10? It was, do you, do you know where Senior Frogs is? Uh, so we're talking closer, you know to, closer to Sea World and uh, yeah, uh, Howl at the Moon. It, it was it was probably mm -hmm. one parking lot over from Howl at the Moon. Like we 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 actually parked in that parking lot and okay. then walked over. Um, yeah, not far from like Sleuths. Not far. Uh, I think it was half a mile away from the I or the Point Orlando, whatever it's called now, mm -hmm. the big Ferris wheel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it, it, it was right there. Um, okay. It's like I said, it hasn't been there in a couple of years, unfortunately. All right. Yeah, it was and when I was look, you know, looking those things up, I was like, well, this is kind of an interesting concept. Like you said, it's a, a blue man group meets a dance, and it's all, you know, it's, it seems like almost like the pictures or the website, like very much like a rage going on. And then I thought, yeah, it, how, do you, how, do you, how do you walk out of there and not have all your clothes totally? I know you get a, you know, a t shirt and a guitar <laughs> on it and drip or whatever. Like, how do you not walk out of there with all your stuff? other stuff that you're wearing not at all wrecked you know it, it was it, yes. like I, every I, I actually uh so everything like luckily they had like some type of special water-based paint so um it would wash out really easily but i had a specific uniform that was pretty much just like a sleeveless shirt some like cargo shorts boots and like a um a bandana that i would wear um and every night i would walk in fine and every night i'd walk out drenched with sand on one side of my face with blue or yellow like streaked down my face the uh the house kit we had there was black it was piano black when we first got it it was multicolored. like it looked like it looked really cool but it was just like there were specks of everything and like you couldn't tell the original color because you're like could it be blue was it green was it what color was it um and same thing like uh, the symbols, they weren't gold anymore. They weren't brass. They were just disgusting looking. <laughs> right. They looked like some like Star Wars or something like that. Right. Symbol. I didn't, I didn't use uh, any of my own personal stuff there. 
um, which was nice because right, you're not wrecking your gear. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, right. and, and so that was one of those things where um, that it, it was, oh man, like that company is so great. Um, and I'm forgetting the actual name of the LLC. Um, but, you know, they, they put everything on themselves. They fronted everything themselves. And that small group was better informed and more aware of what an artist needs in order to succeed than some of the theme parks that I've worked in. You know, because again, the people who were uh, buying things and writing the checks for Drip were artists. The people who write the checks for theme parks are accountants in LA or New York or Canada. You know, and they don't give a crap. They don't understand why drummers need a drum head. Don't you, don't they come with drum heads? Why, why do you need a new one? You know, like, don't right. you have drumsticks? Why do you need new drumsticks, right? Um, and it, it was one of those things where um, <clears throat> the, 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 con the contrast between those two worlds, right. it, it was strange. Like, the, I almost kind of wish the, the smaller company had the bigger budget and see what they could have done with it. Um, and the company with the bigger budget kept acting like they had a smaller budget. It was very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Different, as you, as you said, or, you know, a little bit ago with you know, different people I answered to, right. So, so, yeah. so mm -hmm. did, um, so have you ever thought being in Orlando playing the parks and, and all in that around that area is, um, any interest to, uh, joining the room man show? Um, Yes and no. Um, I, I'm never going to say no to the gig. And I know the musicians who work there, they're fantastic. Um, and again, I, I'm close friends. I'm not close friends, but I'm, I'm really good friends with the music director um, who was at Blue Group. Unfortunately, 2020, they've let everyone go um, and they'll have to restart over from, from scratch when they, def when they do decide to open up. And I don't, I'm not privy to the information. I don't know anything. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good company. I was always interested in doing it. Um, it was just one of those things where in the time that I was available to be um, a part of the show, they only had one audition and I was out of town doing that audition. Um, and so, and with, with corporations and gigs like that, um, you do have to go through some type of formal audition in order to be considered, even if you know everyone in the show, right. they, they still need you to do it for HR reasons or something like that. Right. Um, like uh, one of the other theme parks I was at, I had that job for almost nine years and every three months I had to audition to keep the position I was in. And it's because of an HR thing um, that they, they like, they can't, they, they have to show that they're um, right. like You're being competitive and right yeah. fairness. It's not all right. Exactly. So, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not upset about that, you know, but that's something that a lot of musicians who aren't in that world, they don't understand. They're like, why do you have to apply for the job you already have? And it's like, well, it's just, it's an HR thing. I don't understand it either, but right. if I don't do it, I lose my job. So I don't need to understand. I just need to show up and do what I do and then walk away, you right. know? So yeah, um, I, I was interested in doing that. Um, my career has taken a different path, um, you know, and if the opportunity ever rises again, I'd be happy to audition for them. Um, but it's not, it's not, it's not on the bucket list. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the best way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've worked with, of all the years of being to Universal and, and 
up in Orlando, finally, I don't know, quite a few years now, finally went and did the Blue Man Show, and it was like, all right, this is really cool. You know, a lot of performance, you know, I, was, I guess it's performance art, and the music, the drums are obviously huge, or percussion is huge in the show, and absolutely. Yeah. You know, if um and this is like i guess a little again drawing back the current a little bit i don't know if this is true for that particular company again i can't speak for them I, i've never worked with them i have no affiliation with them um but chances are i would never be a blue man um because of my body type um i am i'm short and i am very thick in wrong places um and blue men are usually very tall and very slender um, and so I, I don't fit that body type. And that's something that a lot of musicians don't really think about when they enter the entertainment world is how do you look? You know, entertainment world, the way you look, your appearance is actually something that's very important. You have to look a specific type. You have to look a specific way, you know? Um, and that was something that um, when I was at my theme park for eight years, um, they told me how to cut my hair. They told me if I had to shave or not. They told me, like, and like, if, if you gain too much weight, they would tell you, you need to lose weight. Um, they, if you lost too much weight, they would tell you, you need to go gain some more weight. Um, and that, that, that's, and here's the thing is that's not a bad thing. Um, I know like in other situations that's considered wrong, but in our world, they, they have to, they are trying to convince an audience of a specific look for it. Exactly. Right. Like I, um, so like right now, you know, I have kind of a very modern haircut, uh, but when I was doing my doo-wop show, I was supposed to be convincing people they were coming back to the fifties and sixties. And, you know, I can't show up there with like a Mohawk, you know, that wasn't something that they would expect to do. I can't be wearing, you know, um, a Slayer shirt or something like that. Right. Um, and, and that's something that a lot of people like a lot of musicians don't consider, but in the entertainment world, that is something that is a huge thing. You know, um, and like, you know, the wardrobe people, they, they work their butts off trying to get things to look right. And if you decide one day you're just going to shave your head without talking to somebody, you're going to piss off a lot of people. Um, so, 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 my, so what do you think, Mike, is in, in explain, you know, kind of talking about this for most people may not, um, yeah, consider musicians, right? Like, hey, I'm a musician, I can dress in however I want, but. For those that are not, that are maybe musicians or bands that are performing not at a Disney or performance setting like that, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say the word, as a theme park, so mm -hmm. I don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I've heard, you know, talk to people over the years, like, you know, you got to kind of dress a certain way or at least have some sort of persona or style, even if you're playing at a tiki bar or something that you have some sort of thing rather than, you know, four or five people ragtag, not kind of matching and wearing flip-flops and shorts and kind of like, all right, well, people want a little bit more out of, yeah. And, and like you said, it kind of forms from some of that performance. Kind of add, you give, you give the folks a little bit more to it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, if you're not doing it on that level, um, Okay, so one of the things I'm sure a lot of us have heard, but um, I, it, it was very heartbreaking for me to learn how right it was, is most people listen to concerts with their eyes. 
Right. And it's so true. Um, it, it's heartbreaking for me because, you know, as a musician, I spent most of my life in a practice room or in my own studio practicing by myself, you know, like, or, or like trying to become a better musician, not really thinking about how I look, you know, and that, that's like the last thing I'm working on. And then to the, for that be the last thing I was working on to be the first thing that I'm judged by when I'm out playing live, that almost seems unfair, but and I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a, you know, back when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, that's because other people are stupid. They don't know what's good for them. Uh, but now that I'm older, I understand that it's because they don't speak musical language. Not everyone does, right? And everybody wants to understand, right? To a degree. Um, and when they see a band, scene is the first thing they're going to relate to right they don't really understand the complexity of the chord you're playing or the le level of independence that phil or your groove plays like if you're playing 50 ways to lo lose your lover they don't understand like how using your left foot inside the groove like that is a challenge and is like a really cool thing that steve gad did all they see is if you're smiling or if you're sweating bullets trying to figure out, trying to get it to look in right, because then they're going to be like, wow, that drummer looks like he's like constipated. Is he okay? I don't feel good. But yeah, and th this is why, like, you know, you see like bands who aren't necessarily playing something complex, but they're like banging their heads, they're jumping up and down, and the audience is into it because right. the audience is experiencing something they can relate to. You know, but then likewise, you know, you go to like jazz lounge and stuff like that, where you have like Chick Corea, you have like these amazing musicians who will just like, like they're just they're the next level and everyone's sitting down and listening and Chick doesn't even have to like look at the audience and he has everyone captivated because his audience is there to listen, right? And it's usually people who know how to listen. If you're not on that level, like Chick Corea or Dave Weckl or Nate Smith, or if you're not one of those guys, it's fine. Most of us aren't. Most of us have to do something else to get the audience to participate with us. Right. And, and that's, that's just a part of the performance, you know? Um, I, I had to really train myself um, to smile a lot when I play um, and to make my resting face smile when I'm performing because, you know, I, I think a lot of drummers really get into that kind of like serious groove look face, right? Oh, but when people see that face, yeah, yeah exactly. Like they, they, they get pulled off. Like, I don't want to talk to this guy. Um, if you're smiling, people are like, oh, he, he looks like he's having a fun time. I want to watch. Um, and same thing, if you, if you like, um, there, there is a way to kind of use the expert expectations of the audience uh to like turn it on their head for your product but most time like it's all about connections right you're, you're connecting with yeah. the audience whether it's in a bar whether it's you know you're you're in a stadium whether it's you know outside of uh you know the uh, little theater or setting and a theme park you're you know everyone's mm -hmm. there and you know again anytime and I think we've all felt that anytime you've gone to a concert or seen a performance band and that musician looks at you, you're like, all right, oh, cool. I, I, you know, they've made that connection again. They just like, happen in the or like I said, they just train to look every, every five feet move their hand, <laughs> kind of focus for a couple of seconds and then you make that connection, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, you're right. It, 
I think that's an important part of not just performing the music and you can be super great, but having some sort of enthusiasm or you're happy to be there. Or you're enjoying, like I said, if you're right, everyone's smiling and you're enjoying yourself, you're enjoying, if you look like you're having fun, then everyone else in the, in the audience should it, be reciprocated, you know, or at least feeling something. It's almost like you break the ice. It's almost like, oh, he's having a good time. I can have a good time. Right. Um, but then also it's one of those things where um, it's about synergy too. Um, you know, like um, there's been many times when I'm, I'm on a gig um, and sometimes I've been the culprit here where there's one person who's in a bad mood and it can set everything off bad, you know, mm -hmm. and now everyone on stage is feeling nervous. And then that, that energy does get picked up by the audience, um, unfortunately. And, you know, it doesn't matter how great you sound. If you're giving off a bad vibe, people pick up on that bad vibe right. first, you know? Um, and, you know, chances are you won't get booked a lot. Unless for some reason you're able to profit off selling a bad vibe, which awesome, that's great. Um, but chances are, um, no, matter what, no matter what level of uh, show that I'm playing, everything from, a small trio in a cigar lounge all the way up to when I'm playing uh, like big casinos or big fields um, and stuff like that and working to like, you know, thousands and thousands of people. People want that energy. People expect that energy. And honestly, when you do this for a career and you do this for a living, you might as well enjoy it. So right. actually enjoy it. Don't show up and have a bad attitude and make everyone hate you. Cause then no one's going to call you because you're a bad apple. You're right. just, you're sticking them. And so they're doing to, this for a job too. And they want to show up every time. Right. So how did, you know, and that, that's for, for those, you know, and I know there's a, a lot of full-time musicians that are out there. And um, how do you approach or how do you stay fresh or not kind of in a rut that this is your job? And how do you not lose, still lose the passion of what got you into being a musician, being a drummer as your profession career? How do you, how do you not separate the, you know, the, the two? They're like, oh, you go nine to five, like you said, and you have know, the parks and I'm going to go check in, clock in. And, you know, so like people that may be computer uh, support people, you know, they get home mm -hmm. and, they don't want to be dealing with the, the printer that's not working at home, right? So they're like, yeah, it's a lot of yeah, right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's a really good question. And actually, um, I, I'll be very honest. Um, I, I haven't been perfect in this uh, regard. And there, there are musicians that I know who actually are better at this than I am. Um, one of it is just mental concentration of where you are in that particular moment. Um, you know, just, just focusing on what this moment is and nothing more and nothing less. You know, are you grooving with the bass player? Are you grooving with everyone on stage? Does the, does the stage sound great? Are you playing too loud? Are you focusing on that stuff? You know, the stuff that um, really only this moment matters. Um, don't think about how many times you played the song. Don't think about um, what you're doing tomorrow. Don't think about you know, how many shows you've played today and what you're going to eat tonight at, uh, for dinner. Don't think about that stuff. Uh, really focus in on this moment. And that's just, um, 
that's a that's a mental training I had to learn um, outside of the music world that I was able to bring that discipline in. Um, but other people don't don't utilize that. Other people have other ways of doing that. Other people are just very happy that and very grateful that I get to do this. You know, they they just like this is more than they've ever dreamed they could do, and that that's enough for them, and they can just stay there. Uh, but I definitely have gotten there before where I'm like, oh my God, how many times in a week do I have to play Shut Up and Dance? That song came out years ago. And why am I still playing that eight to nine times a week? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, right. You know, it's not a bad song, but it's like, oh my God. And like, I, I have plenty of songs on my, on my, on my short list of songs. I'm like, I see it on the set list. And I'm like, <sighs> Okay, so, I gotta, so you, I gotta so play you, that one again. So you have a different uh, list than the, the one that's going around Facebook about what songs gonna require you know a certain amount of tips. Then, right? You, you, you've, got a, you've got a more modernized version of the "Don't Play Mustang Sally" or right, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, "Sweet Home" or whatever the song. Right? Well, <laughs> some of those are crossovers. Uh, "Sweet Caroline," that's one of mine. That I'm like, how much are we getting paid for this again? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Or, or have you come across, or have you come across, and, and somebody else, um, or maybe I'm stealing from another podcast, uh, is, uh, yeah, I, I am actually, to be honest, is uh, stealing uh, my good friend, uh, <laughs> Brad, on uh, he does a jam and cocktails uh, podcast. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And he gets some musicians around, and, and they talk about, yeah, I don't know any of that Jimmy Buffett stuff. I'm like, oh, well, you know, like $100. Oh, well, okay, yeah, I do actually know what Jimmy Buffett is. <laughs> no, I've never come across that situation. I've never been able to. Uh, I, so especially with some of the gigs I work, um, the way the company is structured is I get a flat base pay. Um, and um, any any kickbacks happen to the, the owner of the show. Um, and I kind of prefer that because I walk in knowing exactly how much I'm going to get. Um, and, and I can base my bills off that. <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily like uh, going in and questioning how much money I'm going to make on a right. gig. I don't, I'm not knocking it. Um, I'm just saying that that's not a concern of mine. I don't, I don't worry about that, but I still have songs that I'm like, ah, oh, man, what's the, what's the romantic song? Um, what I, I like, like about, about you. Me. Oh God. I, I, I have played that song since I was 12 years old live. Right, do you play? Do you play it? And I probably played. Do you play that, that open handed? Isn't that how he? Isn't I how started to it? just to make okay. it interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a left hand singer. Uh, like left hand player. He sings. So I started playing it left hand just to try and make it interesting, but it didn't matter. It's the. It's just there's something about that song, man. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, like that's the, that's just professionalism and discipline. You know, like this is your job. You know, and if you don't like this like element of your job then go find another job but i got bad news spoiler alert every job is like this there's going to be there's no such thing as the 100 perfect job there's always going to be some drawback and that's just the balance of life that's just the i'll the that's just the equation that happens is you can get x but you have to give up y right. you know and Again, if you, if you, if for, for me, I really try and apply this idea of, okay, I'm playing this song and I'm playing this song for this moment. And after that moment's done, it's done. I don't have, I'm not playing that song again for this night. And that's cool, you know, but while I'm playing the song, I'm going to play the song and that's just the way it is. 
Um, and yeah. also one of the other things is I, I prepare a lot before gigs. I like, I like having the set list and I like try, trying to sit down. If and even the song, song, like My Girl, I've been playing that song so much in every single scenario. But if it's on the set list, I'm going to listen to it one more time before that gig. Just that way, it, it, it's just, it's, it's I, I've first, done my due right, diligence, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. And and that, that kind of helps sometimes, especially like when you have great players on those albums, like the bass player, uh, Jason, uh, every once in a while you can tune into what the other instruments are doing. And you're like, oh man, I've never like really listened to the bass line in this song. And it's, it's cool, you know, it's, it's groovy. And then you start becoming a better musician because now you start understanding how your part works with other people. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. And so it really, it's just about the attitude that you approach this job and the, the source with, you know, if, if you approach it like, oh, this thing sucks, yeah. it's gonna suck. Gonna if fly. you approach it like, all right, yeah, it, if this is, this is a challenge and let me, let me see how I can make it, how I can make myself better by right. doing this right. and you're going to get better then. Right. So, okay. So I, I want you to tell me what the heck this then drum is. <laughs> okay so i it is my new favorite toy and um i got it right before the quarantine happened the zindrum it, it in simple terms Do you have an it is there? the guitar no it's actually in my car oh, I, I i meant to grab right. it but i i got it last caught yeah um but uh it's the guitar for drummers is probably the simplest way to say it and anyone who plays the Zindrum just got really mad at me. <laughs> um, it, all it is, it, uh, the Zindrum is a MIDI controller that's ultra sensitive that you can play it with your fingertips and it can calculate the velocity that you are playing with to, I, th I think one of the industry's like highest standards. I think, I think they're leading the way in the technology of how to um, interpret velocity sensitive MIDI notes. And uh, there, there's no sounds on the Zendrum, but you can get sound modules or you can run it off your laptop. What I do is I run it off my iPad uh, because it's smaller than my laptop and it's easier to transport. Uh, but then you can associate, I'm sorry, you can assign any sound you want to any pad. And then you play it. And it is probably the f most fun I've had in a very long time. Um, because it's opened up new ways to think about drumming. Um, one, of, one of the things is, um, yeah, yeah. there's a picture uh, of it. Um, so it, like all those little black circles, those are the actual playing pads. And they're, they're kind of like a very soft plastic feel. So they, um, it, it, it gives a good contact when you hit it, but it doesn't hurt. So you can play them for uh, long hours. I, I I actually currently do a weekly gig with that where I play it for three hours uh, every week. Um, and it's, it's fine. It doesn't hurt. Um, and it, it's a very unique looking instrument. People like looking at it. They like coming up and asking me what it is. Um, but the really cool thing is you can just design a whole drum set. That, that one, that particular model has 24 pads on it and each pad is has 127 note velocity which means that i can set different sounds at different velocities so if i want to play for if you're a marching guy right let's say your three inch stick height up to your nine inch stick height 
is a snare drum. But then when you go to a 12 inch height, you hit like a, like a tambourine or something like that. Right. Um, and you can do that to each and every single pad. You can do all these weird combinations. It, it really is this thing where you are able to break out from the regular constraints of a drum set and you can just do whatever you want to. There is no excuse why you can't play something with the exception of you just haven't practiced it enough. Um, and for, for people who are listening that aren't drum set players or musically inclined, you know, uh, drum sets take up space. They're, they're ergonomically um, designed where a hi-hat is usually 14 inches uh, in diameter. And so that has to take up 14 inches of space somewhere on your set. Same thing with the snare drum. It's usually 14 inches. So now all of a sudden you got 28 inches or whatever, depending on how much overlap you have between your hi-hat and your snare. Same thing with like, you have to set things in a specific place so that you can reach them without damaging your body and while still being able to be in time. You know, like you can't cross a huge distance in one sixteenth note. You have to, you have to get there fast. Um, that uh, with the Zen drum, that's not a problem. You know, you can put your kick drum and your snare drum right next to each other. Um, and so they're only half an inch away from each other. Um, and you can put two, you can, I, I have, I have a set that has four snare drums, six kick drums and uh, 12 hi-hats. Right. And I use that for like hip hop and lo-fi stuff. Right. Um, and then I have one that has, it has like EDM drums on it. And then I have a cajon. I, ha I have three pads that have a cajon patch on it. And then I have shakers and cowbells and doombecks. And I use that for like this world percussion group that I work with. Uh, like it's, it's a world pop acoustic act that I work with on Saturday nights. Um, it, it, it's phenomenal because um, it, it really is taking everything you learned about drumming uh, for me over 22 years and just flipping the script, you know, just changing everything up. And it's, it's like relearning the whole instrument again, you know, and um, it, with the way I play the Zendrum, I actually, so when I play drum kit, I'm actually right hand lead. So that means all my eighth notes and quarter notes happens with my right hand. When I play the Zendrum, it's actually easier for me to do it all left hand lead. And then my right hand is playing all the groove and everything. Um, and this is the way I personally interpreted the, the drum, the, the Zen drum. I, I have a buddy who does it complete reverse from me. He plays all his hi-hats on his right hand and then his left hand is doing everything else. Um, you know, and that, that's the great thing is like, there's no wrong answer with the right. Zen drum because like, that's just the way I patched it. I can do something completely different. Um, and it's been opening up possibilities um with uh oh, we got we got a little video here yeah, yeah, playing it. it i don't know if that if that music's going to come up but anyways i mean like for, for anyone who's watching you can see that i'm i'm playing those patches there and i think i have like a an a long 808 kick and a snap on those two patches um and then uh i'm going to go into this position where i'm playing the hi-hats with my left hand and then my right hand is playing the kick pattern the kick and snare pattern um yeah i don't think it's we so can hear crazy it. but it's yeah yeah and like again it's, it's one of those things where um i believe the song is uh dim changes by thundercat 
um, which is a, a killer song. Go listen to that song if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and, you know, that, that was like one of the first songs I learned, like when I was still, I, I, like I said, I got this at the beginning of quarantine. And so I started working on it during quarantine. This became part of my regular practice regimen. Um, and this is like one of the first songs I learned on it uh, because it's a very unique, very interesting groove that he does on, on this take. Um, so this is just what I decided to do. Um, and it, 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 it's actually changed the way I approach drum set now. Like when I'm actually playing, uh, first off, I've noticed my left hand has way more control and I can think, I can actually like do left hand lead stuff a lot easier now. Um, and it's because I'm associating that on that side of my body now. Um, but also, you know, just it's one of those things where like, you know, once you start, like, if you start listening to a different style of music, your fills and your, the way you approach the groove change. Um, and doing the same thing with the Zendrum has, has that, that's affected me as well, where um, the way I approach how I do fills or how I play the groove. So obviously the fact that you- It's changed a little bit. I mean, I, I, I enjoy it. Right, so it's obviously you've seen a. I was wondering if it would create a adverse negative effect because it's a different approach to playing percussion drums, whereas it's um, you know not throwing you off and you know getting out of the traditional way of playing drums. I mean, it looks to me like you said. I think that's probably the great example is as you mentioned with the guitar, because you're you're playing certain certain things. And but yeah, you still have to know a certain you know how to play the drums to be able to know how to play a certain beat and the patterns and certain you know. But that, that I don't know. I had a question on the previous podcast about uh, whether a drummer can be a one man band, and apparently it looks like with that instrument you probably could. So I said, all right, one one man band drummers. Um, so all all the soloists that are playing guitar and singing, look out because <laughs> this is the right. You got dr drums drums slinged across here. You know you can play now, so I move around. A drum slinger, yeah. That, yeah maybe I'll start go. a project called that. Yeah, that's um, right. There you go. <laughs> the, the Zen drum's been around since then. Uh, I, I believe since the nineties. Oh, um, okay. One of the most uh, popular uh, artists who really kickstarted this whole thing is uh, Future Man, who plays with Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. Um, I forget his real name. I, I, I believe he is the brother of Bella Fleck. Um, but he, he had one of the prototypes, and I believe now he has a special custom version of the Zendrum. Um, but yeah, they, they've been around. And like it, it is one of those things where they're a very small community. Um, not, not, a, not a lot of drummers go towards this and it's it's shocking to me um because this the zindrum solves so many problems that a live drummer faces you know one of the things is i walk in i park my car and i walk in with that thing across my back it comes with a carrying case that straps on your back and that's it that's, I, the, like, first, that's the first thing i thought about was yeah, that, yeah your loading is, is about nothing now right Nothing. I can show up five minutes before the gig starts as opposed to 45 minutes before the gig starts. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Right. Uh, my back didn't hurt at the end of the night from carrying a freaking kick drum upstairs right. and everything, right? Um, show up to the gig and the band's like, what the hell is this? Like, well, you guys never helped me loading all my drums. 
up the car. So this is what I'm do- doing. Okay. So do exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm helping myself now. Right. Um, the other thing is because it's all electronic, there's obviously a volume control on it, um, which uh, for some of the things I do based in Orlando and in Tampa and in St. Pete, they're, they're very small venues um, where the clients want that drive and that energy that live drumming gives, but they can't afford this, the loud sound. So instead of playing with brushes or hot rods or doing the cajon kit, or throwing towels all over your drums or like, you know, all, all the yeah. tricks that we come up with. The Zen drum solves that. You got you set the volume at wherever you want to and you just hang there all night. And then of course, obviously uh, you wear it. You don't have to set it up, you know? So um, the space I take up is this, the space that my body takes up and that's it. Um, so you're able to fit a trio on a very, very small stage, you know? And again, it, it still looks cool. You're still performing. You're still playing. Um, and you're still doing that thing where you are working with other musicians. You're creating that synergy. You're creating that energy that audiences love and that they come to see live music for. But you're doing it with zero of the hassle. There, there are drawbacks, you know, to, to Zen drumming. Uh, the first thing is you, you're losing the, the... One of the things I discovered... Uh, especially when I started working with like electronic drums and samples, and everything like that is the way how sound is air moving, right? We all know that, but it's hardly ever to describe it that way, but we are so used to watching a band and seeing the sound and having the air move from the center of the stage out radiating out and hitting you in your chest and everything like that. Um, that when you take that away, it's, it, it, you can tell it's gone. There's something missing. You don't know how it's... Yeah, exactly. And it, it's not always a bad thing. It's not always detrimental to the product, but that's still an element that's missing that people are kind of like, oh, why does this feel different? Um, but that's perfect for some scenarios that I play in, you know, where they, again, it's not a dance jumping up and down type crowd. It's a let's sit back and listen crowd, you know? So they don't necessarily need that movement. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, drummers, <laughs> this is, this is crazy to me. We don't deal with like electricity. That's not something we have to deal with. Right. It's the power goes uh, out the first game, time. We don't have to worry about it. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You get to keep going. It's fun. It's to take a drum solo. But, um, I, one of the other things was, um, I, I don't know what happened, but like my iPad just had to like restart all of a sudden when I was playing and just how to deal with that. How do, how do you deal with like, you're playing all of a sudden no sound comes, you know, like, oh, or your battery dies, right? right. <laughs> like it's one of those things where, you know, I'm working with guitarists who have done this for years and years and years. And they, they know to check their batteries before each gig. They know to make sure they have a backup power supply. They know this, they know that. And I'm over here and I look like a fresh newbie because I'm like, oh, I guess I should have changed my battery before we started the show, right? Because, like, that's not something, like, as a drummer, you don't think about right, that. Yeah. You, think, you think, do I have enough sticks for the show, right? right yeah. That's all yeah. you think about. So it's, it's been fun kind of, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I'm kind of having to relearn some rules of professionalism right. with the Zendrum, but I like it. It's a lot of fun. No, it's, I, so what does something like that run, if you don't mind me asking, or I'm other than me googling it but i do not mind um so i believe 
I don't know the, the numbers right off the top of my head. I believe the model I have at the base unit of it is I think $1,600 or $1,700. Wow. Okay. Um, I believe there are some upgrades you can choose to get. Um, and those upgrades start coming in like around $200 or so. Um, so you can very easily spend well over $2,000 on a unit like that. Um, I was actually very fortunate to find my used on eBay. Um, I, I spent I spent a little bit over $1,000 on mine. Uh, the guy was very cool and we were able to work things out really nicely. Um, but then it's not just that. You got to have a sound module. You got to have like a drum brain or you got to have, um, you got to make sure it comes with the power supply because there's a, a very specific power supply it takes. Um, and then you got to buy the samples, right? Um, if you want to use generic samples that come on some of these drum range or sound modules, they're not always the best. But like uh, if anyone knows the percussionist, Pete Lockett, uh, he's one of them, like he, he's on Grammy, he's a Grammy nominated artist. If you ever heard any percussion in a uh, music score, it's probably him. Like he, he is like the go-to guy in the world for percussion. Uh, and he has, he's recorded himself with samples and then he releases those to buy online. And so you can have Pete Lockett playing a tabla, right? And he plays in different ways. And then you can buy that and you can put that on your Zendrum, but that costs more money, right? So it's like, well, it's like $1,600 to walk in the door, but do you want a drinker? Right? right. <laughs> and then, and so like, it's just, it's just one of those things where you start spending more and more money of it and you're like, oh my gosh, like, and then you start thinking, figuring out why guitar players always broke too, because they want to buy all those pedals and everything. And exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's it like, oh, up. right. Yeah. It's like crap. Another pedal for like, this and that and so forth. Yeah. But on so, top of that, I still got my snare drum collection and my cymbal collection. So I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like I, I am in trouble here. I'm never going to get out of this hole financially. <laughs> yeah. You just keep buying. Right. There's so much more and keep, you know, take the Sweetwater catalog away. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you're, um, you know, so when you're, you're asked to do a gig or there's an opportunity, I guess, what, you know, when, when is, when is the right gig? When's the wrong gig? And then when's it okay to say that's okay to, to, to not, you know, I guess when's, when, I guess, when you say no. Yeah, um, it, it, that that is something that I feel like I'm still learning. Um, but in, in my experience, um, w- one of the things is the people I'm playing with. Um, usually, the people I work with are really great people. They're very kind. They're very uh, assuring. They're very understanding. But I've I've had experiences where I work with some very harsh, very grumpy people. Um, I'm going to try and say it nicely. Um, and, you know, I, I don't judge them for who they are. Like, I don't know this story, um, but some people just are easier or harder to work with. And there are some people who, again, like I said earlier, they give off like a bad vibe, you know, and do I want to be working with someone who gives me that for four to six hours? You know, like, is that something I really want to expose myself to? And the answer is sometimes, like if, uh, if it's a gig that pays really well, it's so, oh man, who was it? Somebody, I think it's a, it's a famous thing. It's, there's the trifecta of uh, standard for the gig. It's how much is, do you pay? What are you going to be playing? And who you are playing with? 
and you got to get two out of three, right? Um, and if it's two out of three, you say yes to the gig. If it's all three, amazing. If it's just one, say no to the gig. Um, and I, I don't really follow that rule. I think I think it's a fun little um, antidote to talk about. But you know, um, there there have been times when I get paid really really well to play one song, and there's been times when I play total crap. I've been paid total crap to play four to five hours. Um, and it, it kind of just really a depends on where you are in your life um, and where you are in your career. When I was very very young and I was starting out. I needed people to know who I was, you know, I can't just, you can't just play in your room and expect people to want to work with you. They need to work with you before they want to work with you. Um, and you have to figure out some way to break into the scene. Um, you know, we said earlier on that I, I lived in Orlando, but I really, and like I did work in Orlando for a while, but my career really kicked off in Tampa. And that's when I really was able to afford to be a full-time musician. And, you know, Every scene is kind of close. It's it's close knit, um, and you have to find some way to break in, you know. And I I did it, and everyone I know has figured out some way to get the working musicians to know who they are. But then on top of knowing who they are, they have to know that they're good for a gig, you know. I, I've known plenty of great musicians who are very very talented, and they show up completely unprepared. And they just, they, they think they can just fake it through the whole night. And they can't, right? Even if they're amazing and they are able to fake it through, the rest of the musicians kind of knew that they weren't. And so they, they then became, um, it just became very obvious that they don't prepare themselves and that they aren't reliable. Um, same thing with like, uh, like your attitude when you show up, you know? I've had many gigs where... Um, the, the load in can be very difficult. And if you're having a bad attitude and being salty about it while you're loading up and you kind of bumming everybody out, they don't want to work with you. Right. right. Um, so say yes to gigs that you can be your best at. Um, and I mean, I've had gigs, I, I, I had a gig offer one time. So I, I still live right outside Orlando and I had a gig offer for some type of show I, I, I think it was like a casino show or something in Miami. And I was really excited about it. Um, and I was available to do it, but they weren't paying really well. And it was going to be one of those things where they weren't offering any type of accommodation for me. And that's like a six hour drive from where I live. Right. Um, and so it would be one of those things where I drove six hours to the gig, play the gig, probably not even make the gas money at the gig and have to drive six hours back. So we're looking at, what a 16 hour day and probably making less money, right? If there was a time when no one knew who I was and I needed people to know who I was, I probably would have said yes to that gig. But when they asked me, I was actually working and I could like, I, I was known in my other areas. And so I felt like I could say no. And so I did, I said, listen, it's, I, I appreciate the opportunity. It, they, that money doesn't work for me. And I gave them a number. I was like, could you meet me at this number? And they were like, no, we can't, we can't afford that. And I was like, all right, that's, that's cool. We can't do this then. Um, Cause the last thing you want to do is show up and be at a gig where you look bad for any reason, whether you look bad musically, whether you look bad professionally, where you look bad in, in any regard. So it's okay to say no to those gigs. Um, and 
I would encourage you to say no to gigs where you are not going to represent yourself or the product that you are working for in an appropriate manner. Um, if you're just other not, than that, right, if you're not feeling it right, if, you, if you're yeah. like you said, if it's the other things that are not the other, you know, two out of three measurement, right? And again, if you're if you're not feeling it, then it's going to show. And unless you're yeah. very very professional in to hide all that and to be able to put on that performance mode, I'm like God, why am I here? Everyone knows, and, and so forth. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, and I mean. And it, it's one of those things where that even that is fluid in the sense of doesn't matter if I'm prepared, right? right? If it's one of those things where it's like, hey, we're doing a jam band session, you know, why don't you come out and we'll pay you blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I don't even need to know what we're playing because it's a jam, right? It's, it's, it's that type of vibe, right? But if it's a wedding and it's like you're doing like, so I, I do a lot of sub work where, you know, bands are established and they have their own drummer, but that drummer's not there and he has to do this other stuff, blah, blah, blah. And the band leader calls me. And so I'm slipping in and trying to fill in the, not, not necessarily fill in the shoes of the other drummer, but I'm trying not to throw off the band to what they're used to hearing or what they're used to feeling. Right. right. Um, and it's one of those things where like, if you can't be that prepared for that wedding, then say no. Right. Like, I mean, the, and, and the, one of the first things you have to be honest with yourself about what your abilities and what your limitations are. Can you learn 60 to 80, uh, 80 songs in three days, right? And be able to play them perfectly uh, without, with zero rehearsal with the band. If, if you can, and that offer comes to you, say yes. But if you can't, say no, Right. And then say yes to the one where you can play 40 songs in five days, right? Um, it, it's all about just being very honest with yourself and being aware that other people are counting on you, right? Uh, don't be selfish. Don't be thinking only about yourself and the money, right? I, I, I've known bands that they trust the wrong person to fill in for them or to play with them. And that person ruins the whole band. Like, especially in the wedding industry, whew, you get one bad gig and uh, people hear about that shut down in, in the band. Because if a bride hire, hires you and the pianist or the guitarist or the drummer or the singer shows up, and ruins the show, right? That bride is pissed off because you ruined her special day and she's going to write a bad review. And then that band, and then no bride is ever going to hire that band because they see that one bad review. And they're like, well, that band ruined her special day. They might ruin mine. Right. And that whole thing might have happened because one musician didn't take the time to prepare. Right. And so one guy screwed up a whole a whole band. For, I, think, yeah. I think one of the bands have been around for 13 years. And they just trusted this one musician and it's he screwed up awfully. And they had a bridezilla, and the bridezilla just let them have it on one of the wedding websites. And that was the end. That was wow. it. Wow. it. It's it's one of those things where that's an opportunity, that's a time to say no to the gig. Right. 
But let's talk about when it's time, time to say yes. Um, again, like one of the things that I look for is who I'm playing with. You know, if, I, if I'm playing with guys that I know or guys that I've heard of and I want to meet, I would say yes. Um, if it's a really, really good paycheck and it would, you know, especially right now where there's like zero gigs going on, like it's hard to say no to anything that pays because that's a very rare thing uh, in 2020. Right. Take what you can get. Right. Exactly. Right. And I, I, I don't, I'm not one of those guys was like, Oh, you don't say, uh, I'm not going to ever tell anybody only accept X amount of money. Don't ever go below that. I'm not that guy. Cause you know, like, I don't know your situation. If 60 bucks helps you get to the next paycheck, 60 bucks is great. If 600 is what takes you to get out the door, 600 is it. I like, that's, that's your call. Not mine. Um, also, like what I'm playing, if if a muse, if a show is going to challenge me in a way to grow, um, one of the shows I did was called uh, Rock Cirque, um, and it was it, it was a bunch of eighty like mid to late eighties uh, hair metal and hard rock stuff, so like Van Halen and Queen and Journey, uh, yeah, Journey and Foreigner. Um, there's a lot, a lot of bands that like I, I grew up as a kid listening to. Um, and so when I got the, the charts for it, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, this is music I'm excited to learn and want to do. But then also, you know, learning some of like Steve Smith's licks were super challenging. That guy is a monster and not enough people talk about him. Uh, same thing with um, Spacing on, uh, is it Alex Van Halen? Or yeah, it's Alex, right? He's the drummer. Uh, that guy he's had, he's had some great stuff too. Um, especially like in uh, jump, which is probably not one of the like considered like musically cool songs ever. It's like probably the one that a lot of musicians don't like the drum part in the bridge there in, in the pre-chorus. Take a look at that. That thing is a beast. And to play that correctly, that's a lot of fun. And it was one of those things where I, I read the chart and I was like, Oh my God, I got to go sit down and practice this. And I practiced it for probably three days before I was able to nail it. And that, that stuff, that, that to me, that's exciting. That's something I like when personal practice and your job can come together for a second and you're like, ah, yes, you know, and even like if you're learning a new genre, right? Like um, if you want to get really good at playing reggae, right. Then you got to play reggae. Right. And if a gig is going to help you get better at playing reggae, take the gig, right? And like if it, if it pays enough for you to justify being there and you're going to be able to grow yourself personally as a musician, say yes, because you're, you yourself are an investment. How you play, what you can play, how authentically you play it, that is something worth putting time into. Right. And you have to push yourself a couple of times, but do it, you know, and there's been plenty of gigs where it's like, oh, I got to really work on something in order to in order to play this off correctly. And I do it because, again, I'm the investment. My talent is the investment and so, I'm going to do this. So since you yeah. perform a lot and play, as you said, you know, you know, 
maybe poor performance in the day, you know, for, you know for, let's say last year as an example, uh-huh. and you're you've got a pretty busy schedule. Do you how much time do you still spend practicing? And uh-huh. you know, you know, where you, if it's a performance day, you're still at least doing a little bit of practicing, or again too, when you're having to travel a little bit, what type? What is your what is your practicing uh, reg, regimen? So um, when I'm when I'm not working. I would like to practice anywhere from three to four hours a day. Um, and during 2020, obviously that's been a, a norm for me. When you work uh, like in a theme park, that's actually really hard to pull off because, you know, you show up at 10 o'clock, let, uh, let, you know, you can show up at 10 o'clock, clock in, you got to do all this early morning stuff, then warm up. And then each show is 20 minutes, but you also have to have like 10 minutes beforehand to get ready and, you know, 10 minutes to after the show to meet the guest and, you know, shake hands and then go change and relax for a second because it's still a show. Um, and then you have another show in an hour, you know, so how much time are you really going to practice there? Um, and even then, technically, a show is still kind of practice because you're still actually you're still- playing. Right. Right. And it, it, like, if you approach it as practice, it, it can become practice. Like be very aware of, okay, like, am I still like on my eighth notes between my kick and my hi-hat still lining up perfectly? Or is it because I just ate lunch? Maybe I'm a little bit loose. Right. Um, and just, you know, okay, well, how do I fix that? How do I change that? You know? And, and what if I, I there were many times I would start experimenting playing left-hand lead uh, on like some of these Motown and doo-wop songs because they're very simple and very repetitive. Um, but, you know, also when you're on, on break, your time is yours. Like in between each show in the theme park world, your time was yours to do, right? You just had to stay on property. And you weren't allowed to, you know, drink or do drugs or go ride the rides. Like that was pretty much it. Anything else was fair game. And, I like bringing my practice pad and sitting in the back in one of the dressing rooms and just going over stick control or trying new things. Or I would take that time to sit down and learn music for a wedding that I had that weekend or for my cover music or whatever, because I was still on the clock. So I was like, all right, well, if I'm on the clock, I might as well get paid to learn music and then something else. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, But then when I would get home, if I had an idea that was like in my head all day and I was like, I want to try that. I want to try that out when I get home. Or if I heard a cool fill or something like that, or if I was looking at a song, I came across like something complex. I'd be like, Oh, let me go try that when I get home. Just because that's who I am. I'm like, Oh, I, I want, I want to learn this now. I want to do that now. Right. Um, so that was the theme park life. When I travel, that's a completely different story. Because a normal travel day for me, I'll wake up like at four or five in the morning and drive an hour to the airport. And then I'll get on like a 6 a.m. flight to go someplace. And if I'm lucky, that flight takes an hour and a half to three hours. There's been times when we travel for six hours, right? Um, And that whole time you're on a plane and you can't be practicing because people will kill you if you do that. Um, So you're not doing that. 
And then when you get to the your, your destination, you have to jump into a car and you got to drive another two to three hours to the venue. Right. Right. It's so all of a sudden you now you're right. exactly right. Um, and then you're, you're also tired because traveling does take it out of you, you right. know, especially if you jump in time zones and stuff like that. It could just, you know, it could just mentally exhaust you. I'm lucky enough that usually we have a day to travel and then the next day is the show. But there have been many times where we travel and then the day of is the show. Like, so we get up at 6 a.m. and we are expected to perform at 6 p.m. that night. And so you got to stick, you know, seven hours of travel into that and then the time to set up and sound check and eat and change and then go. And that's a lot. That, that's a lot to handle. Um, those times I'm not too worried about practicing. I'm not, I'm, I'm more worried about warming up and staying limber. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll do some like uh, normal, like one of the things I'll do is um, I learned this back in marching band, right? So you have your usual technique like this. Well, you take that stick and you flip it over like this and you play on your forearm. The motion is still the same, right? It's still the, the same motion as that. So you could warm up and practice like that. And it's, it's pretty good, right? Um, especially when you get to like colder climates, it's really smart to keep the the wrist muscle and the finger muscles nice and warm. It, it's funny. It's um, funny, Mike. You, it's funny you show that because that was um, I'm, I'm got my drum dojo shirt. Like you know, Jim Riley's place. You know, yeah. And uh, yeah, I see that. Yeah. yeah. And that was that was actually the first you know, before we actually went into the drum room, and you're also and then like the, the little. Everyone was doing that. That's exactly what he showed. And he was like, all right, take this. I'm like, all right, well, again, I'm not having done core. And, and it's like, mm. okay, this is different. You know, I've never, never seen, I don't know, uh, for some reason, I've never seen it before, but I was like, okay, but it's funny that you, exactly there it is. You know, sure. Yeah. It, it's a great yeah. tool. And right. I mean, I learned it in marching band, but it, it applies to drum. It, it applies to life. Just trying to stay warm. Um, when, when, when I'm on, when I'm traveling though, I'm able to listen to a lot of music and you get to a point, and I'm I'm not saying I'm 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 at that point yet. And I don't want to make it sound like I think I'm some type of master. I'm, I'm still a student. I'm still always learning. But you get to a point where you are so familiar and so in tune with your drum kit or with, with your particular instrument that you can hear the idea, and you can visualize how to do it, and that's good enough right? Not necessarily perfect, right? But it's good enough for you to at least have learned something new. Um, so I like watching um, guys like uh, Thomas Lang. I like watching Virgil Donati. I like watching Portnoy. Um, Benny Greb, he's been one of my favorites lately. Um, I, I, I'll usually download some type of YouTube uh, video of them playing or doing a solo or I'll download an album that they're on. And when I'm traveling, I'm listening and I'm working on my ears. I'm working on what are they playing and how does it sound? And how does that make me feel? You know, how does that work within the music? How, what does that do to the listener? Um, and that was something that I learned from Drip um, with working with the music director there. There was this one time I played a halftime groove somewhere in the song and he came up to me after the show and he goes, so that halftime thing you did sounded good. It was great. But why did you do it? And I was like, oh, because I think it worked good with the music. And he goes, next time, ask yourself, what are you saying to the audience? 
and let that dictate how you play. And that was that 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 hit me. That that struck a chord in me. And that's something that I try and do when I listen to music um, in my normal life is what am I feeling and why am I feeling it and how is the music dictating that? And so when I'm traveling and listening to music, I'm actively listening and actively asking myself, how, how, why, why, is, why am I drawn to this? Why is this making me feel the way I feel? Is it this? Is it that? And then how can I reproduce that? Right. You know? Um, so I, I guess I guess the best way to say it is when I'm traveling, I'm more thinking about the theory and the philosophy behind drumming. But then when I'm home, I'm working on the mechanics of it. You know, that that's the time that I'm okay, how do I get my doubles to play? Yeah, like how, how do I how do I get the bottom level, right? Yeah. Like how what how do I do that? Right. Um and the answer is I don't know. I'm I'm not there yet either. So no, yeah, I, I guess I guess it's that. Yeah. I mean, Maybe I split the 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 study up differently than other people, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you obviously are, you know, you sleep, you, you, you drum, you get a different approach and preparation. I think is pretty well, pretty good. So, um, so you're a, uh, you know, I know, I know the podcast here. We were had planned to be, you know, in person, or and again, that's what this podcast originally. The idea was about was the social thing. Obviously, there's a the uh, rum aspect to it. Yes, I know. Unfortunately, you know, um, some things had kind of changed up the plans on that with us. So uh, we'll definitely mm, yeah. we'll uh, hold that drink, you know, for in person, you know, sometime down the road here. I know 2020. Hopefully, we're hopefully at the light of the end of the tunnel. Is uh, you know, hopefully, yes, hopefully, and uh, we'll definitely can be you know, meet actually meet in person. Um, but again, I know Orlando is yeah. not that far, so I mean, it's not like it's not out of the realm of you know, you, not you know, at all, you, um, you know, South Florida versus you know, Central Florida, etc. So, um, exactly, yeah, but you are a rum and diet coke guy, correct? Yes, I am, okay, yes, absolutely, so, yeah, so. So I've actually, so I've got something for you to try and it's readily should be available here, especially in Orlando is. Uh-huh. So this is Code Rum and it's made here in you know West Palm Beach. Um, and uh, so one of my previous oh. guests, Johnny, uh, Johnny Ringo from the, the owner of the Code Rum company here. It's uh, yeah. still, so this is a uh, 70 proof flavored rum. <laughs> this is Key Lime. So again, it's one of those if you're a diet coke guy, diet you know rum and coke guy, you definitely can you know switch it up with something like this where you're you're not going to need to put a line in it because it's already got the line. It's already got the key line. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So definitely, you know, it's available. You can find it at ABC liquor stores or you know, anywhere. Like I said, they're all it's all throughout Florida now. So you give that a try, and that's actually what I'm drinking. Uh, you know, yeah, that's what you're drinking in, right now. In my cup, you keep seeing, you keep seeing me sip from it. Is, is uh, a little bit of Diet Coke and some Key Lime, uh, Key Lime Code Rum, and uh, a couple of the different flavors there. So, I, I will definitely try that. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I've been uh, I've been sneaking sips of uh, eggnog with. Um, I think um, I have a St. Augustine Distillery Rum right here that actually I've been. That's okay. what I've been using. Okay, which is. Um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been able to go to the St. Pete uh, St. Augustine Distillery um but it's fantastic they got a wide selection of stuff um and my 
my, my wife's parents live in St. Augustine. So okay. whenever we go visit, we always swing by the distillery first and we replenish the, the supply and yeah. then come back. So yeah, but co- co- code rum. I'm, I like, like that key line sounds real. I am, there's an ABC about five minutes down the road right, for me. I think go. as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go grab right, that because that sounds delicious. I'm telling, you, I'm telling you, man, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's again, you don't need to mix any lines in there. And they've got a couple other, uh, uh, I think the key lime is probably more available in most of the stores. And they've got a couple of cinnamon and, uh, you know, silver. I mean, and, yeah, but that, yeah. I mean, us Florida boys, like we like, we like our key lime and we're very oh, yeah. picky about that. Oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they got a lot I of great, uh, yeah. So especially if you're a bloody, uh, bloody Mary person, they've also have a, their version of, and it's called the bloody pirate where they switch out the vodka for the key lime rum. And it's made the same way. My my wife is a huge Bloody Mary fan. Right, and I, think she, I think she's listening, so she probably okay. she's, right, she's probably grabbing the keys right now. Yeah, she's, she's already the, she's already there and back already. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah let, let yeah let me know because uh, yeah they're uh, uh, yeah like uh, anyway so yeah so so good products and as well too is um and surprisingly is not haven't made a chance to make it up to San Augustine yet to the distillery up there. There's one. There's actually quite a few places that are popped up. Just craft distilling seems to have become the 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 current where craft brewing was probably you know 10, 12 years ago, where you know all of a sudden had craft brewing places blowing up all over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So craft distilling yeah, is now a big thing now, and again, it's a lot. There's a lot more restrictions, a lot more challenges, obviously, to open up one and and so yeah. forth. So. Uh, so it's, it's kind of tough to even to be able to sell it because most of them don't have a license to sell over the internet or in our commerce. So you have to go to the store. So if you ever, especially in Daytona, Daytona, uh, there's one Mm -hmm. there called Copper Bottom. It's, um, Oh, I've driven past that place. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because it, yep. And it's funny because one of the podcasts I had done with, uh, with Jeremy, uh, the owner of and had had distiller there. It said exactly that they're right at the foot of the bridge. And if you see it, the yeah. right there, it's right there. Yeah. So yeah, pop on in. They've they've got a lot of also different flavors too. They do a beer barrel aged and a sherry. They got a sherry and a port they just recently did too. So yeah, super great people there. So definitely yeah. check on stop by and you know, say hi while while you're up there next time. Will do, definitely, yeah, yeah man. Cause I like yeah, I, my my family goes to Daytona all the time. But I play uh, at the band shell that's right there on the beach okay. on yeah. International. I, I play that all the time. Okay. And I, I've driven past that. I've yeah. seen it all the time. I'm like, oh, my God. I should, yeah, you got to let, let me know because my folks my folks still live up in that area. So I'm, I'm okay. very familiar with Daytona. You know, I, I grew up there a few years after moving out of New Jersey. And, uh, so I'm very familiar uh-huh. with band shell. And uh, um, so you probably checked out and stopped at the uh, Daytona Beach Drum Center, right? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yes, not 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 in a couple of years, but uh, it was a time when I would make that a, a regular stop. Yeah. So yeah, so Dan, uh, Dan, Dan, the owner of the, the drum center there, also he performs also in a couple of places there as a actually as a duo. So yeah, so if you're in the so swing swing the cat, you know. And again, I had my own COVID story where I was coming up to interview both of them the same weekend, the distillery and the drum center. I was like, oh, this is a great weekend, and then. And some other COVID related, you know, not me, but you know, you know, you know, yeah. somebody else who, you know, probably had it. 
um, kind of you know change some of those things. But yeah, so if you next time you're here, you check out the check out both the places. It's absolutely great, great place to stop in and burn burn money and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I, yeah, I know. Uh, COVID has done a lot of. Uh, everyone's been affected by it, you know. Um, but it's one of those things too, where you know, it's it's given me some time to refocus and and readjust my life. And right. uh, you know, you were talking earlier about burnout, and I, I did get kind of a burnout, and I didn't realize I had a burnout. Um, and it wasn't necessarily so much that I had lost my passion for playing. But it was more just I had stopped appreciating the cool moments that I was experiencing. You know, I stopped living in the moments. Like I said, I was supposed to like, you know, I it was really just, you know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, and a four. You know, right? It was it was that crap. Um, and and now and now like having some time to step back and be gone from the stage for what what are we on now nine months whatever yeah. um it, it's one of those things where it's like yeah man like you know the few gigs I've had here and there um they they mean a lot more now and especially when I got so used to working with other musicians that then going straight back to the studio and just being in my own little world and just playing by myself to a click track all the time. Uh, that at first that was nice and I got to work on some things I wanted to work on, but then I was like, this sucks. Right. <laughs> you right. you, you know? want more and more. From it. Yeah. yeah. You want yeah. that synergy. You want You want to work because uh, music is, I, I think we, we get we forget this a lot, but music is a it was created as a form of communication, you know, like uh, it, it you know if you want to go all the way back to like you know early Africa, like you know talking drums were invented to relay messages to villages, right? Um, so yeah, exactly, and it, it, to this day, it's still about telling a story or expressing a feeling or showing off new technology or anything like that. Um, you know, uh, I miss talking to people, you know, I miss communicating with them. I miss, I miss ha sharing a story and sharing an emotion with them, you know, and that's, that's something that I'm really excited when everything opens up again, you know, not only having a drink with people, but also playing, playing a group with people, yeah. you know, like that'll be, that, that'll be, that, that's something I'm ready to get back to for 2021 for sure. Yeah. So what, what are some of the uh, current, current things I mean, you, you're working on there or any projects or so, original stuff? Um, so right lately what I, so I always had a dream to do a, a remote recording studio uh, for drumming. Um, and I, I had that idea back when I was like 18, 19. The first time I saw when the um, focus right, uh, no, I think it was Personas, Personas Firepods or something like that, which was like a six channel USB uh, interface, right? First time I saw that, I was like, oh my God, I would love to have something like that to record myself in my garage because right? I was 18 and I didn't know any better. <laughs> uh, so uh, through through a series of fortunate events, um, I was able to, uh, me and my wife made a, we, we, uh, well, I'm, I'm actually sitting in my in my studio right now that's actually outside my house. And uh, she actually built 
this whole thing. The, the structure was there that she it was a, it was an it was a garage, and she's amazing. So she was able to frame it, and we put the flooring in. We did all this. We put the AC in, and I say we, but it was her. I I I didn't do jack crap. Um, so now I have the studio, um, and you know I've just been buying mics and interfaces and learning Logic and. Uh, it was one of those things where serendipitously the quarantine happened. Not only did I get a syndrome to start practicing, but also I now had a way and time to dedicate to recording drums. And uh, from the beginning of quarantine till now, I've kind of made a small little business off recording um, drums for people, you know, um, in faraway places. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, there's uh, like, so I've recorded a, a few songs for some singer songwriters up in New York. Uh, the track I sent you, uh, that's a pianist that I worked with. Uh, she's based in New Jersey. And then me and her have been talking about doing stuff. Uh, I did something for a metal band in Russia. Um, I've worked with, it's, it's one of those things where um, I've been able to kind of start making a business off recording drums and sending those drum tracks uh to to clients and stuff like that um and that's something that uh not a lot of people jump into but it's one of those things where it makes a lot of sense i used to do a lot of studio sessions and clients didn't always understand that it takes like an hour and a half to two hours for a drummer to move his drum set into a studio get them tuned to the studio mic the the drum kit up and get everything perfect move the cymbals so they're out of the way of the microphones then gain uh get get the gain stage set for everything and then change things and blah blah. like they didn't understand like you're going to spend two hours before i'm even ready to start recording right right um and that's two hours of studio time you're paying for right so you just spent two hours to do nothing so one of the things I've always thought of was, well, what if I had a drum set set up, mic'd, already ready to go? All I have to do is open a new session, press record, and go. Right now, all right. of a sudden, an hour and a half just turned to five seconds. Right. right? Um, and it, it, that's something I've been able to um, promote to different clients and been able to advertise. And I'm slowly getting some 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 traction on it. Cool. Um, yeah, it, I've been doing that, and I've been I've been really enjoying that. Um, there's some stuff on on my Instagram page where, you know, um, doing cover music and playing tribute shows and uh, show tunes and musicals and stuff like that. There's a lot of songs you want to be able to play that you can't play, and so during quarantine, I was like, you know, I'm not getting paid, but I still want to play. I might as well start doing some of these songs that I've always wanted to play, you know? So, um, you know, I, I've done some video series based on like songs I've wanted to play. And there's one where um, it's a series that I'm right. I started writing when I was in college and I'm continuously writing where it's a percussion ensemble, um, but I'm playing all the parts. So, and that's, that's a lot of fun to, you know, be able to play all the different instruments that I know how to play that I don't get to play live ever. Like um, my tablas, my doombex, uh, just, that's not a gig that I usually get. Um, And then on top of that, I've been working with some clients here in Florida. Um, One of them is a, he's a world acoustic pop guy. So he's a guitarist from Venezuela. 
and he does a really good job of just kind of fusing um latin world music with uh like you know pop music or dance music or rock or he like he, he's a very eclectic dude and i'm uh i've been working with him doing zen drum stuff um and then um you know i get a few gigs here and there i did a couple weddings uh a couple weeks ago um yeah and then at, uh, after that just kind of trying to be a better person and better drummer <laughs> uh during this time um coming up i so i also work with uh I work with an Elton John tribute show. Um, and matter of fact, I, I, I think we can call ourselves the official Elton John tribute show. Okay. If not, I can say that he's the official Elton John body double. Um, and that's a whole story that we, we won't get into. Um, it's for the in-person. But, when we do our, you know, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll stay there for another time. Um, but so that, that show actually I have a gig with them coming up and I think we're, we're getting ready in 2021. We have some dates that are getting locked down so that'd be fun um and then yeah i'm still working with clients and songwriters trying to um just work with different people and again just communicate and have new conversations with other musicians that's kind of what i've been doing so yeah and 2020 was a slow year for me as it was for all of us right yeah yeah Yeah. it's i think it's it's something that I've, i've mentioned before is this year, you know, when we were going into lockdown, it was if everyone can't go out and play and perform, then rides are going to get a whole lot of people that have been practicing and shedding and getting tight or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, you know, so it, it was interesting, you know, either way. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, if anyone can kind of discern, you know, the difference, you know, because obviously if everyone's not together practicing as a band together, but, like you said, if you're performing, you know, five, seven days a week, you know, um, three hours a night, there's really, you don't need to really practice a whole lot because there's no need to. And because um, you're already tied up. Now, again, if you're learning new stuff, then, yeah, you may have to kind of fit some of that in there as well. Too, so, but, okay, cool. So, yeah, we'll definitely check out your... Uh, um follow you know follow you on uh social media there to see what you're up to any any non-private gigs or or require admission to uh to enter into uh enter an interface well i'm sure you know <laughs> so um but yeah i, I really appreciate mike taking the time tonight to uh you know get a chance to catch up like said we were we talked uh, initially hooked up and uh, met her on uh, the local, you know, local florida drum facebook group to uh kind of catch up and i'm glad you took me up on the offer there to come on my little old podcast here and uh kind of share your story and learn some new things about you and for the folks that are listening as well too so oh thanks man no it's 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 fun man um i, I love your podcast like i said yeah, i thanks. i didn't discover it until you posted about it but since then you know when i drive um i drive for about two to three hours each time so i'm always listening to you um it, it's nice you know it's uh it, it's nice to have these talks about drums and and, and liquor and just you know have, have a good time and right it, it, it's cool yeah you, 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 sometimes you guys you know most of the time you guys really do dive deep into stuff but then also like it's it's nice to it's not all pretentious and 
Uh, it's, it's not all about trying to show off how, how much everyone knows. It's just a couple guys drinking, having a good time, talking about what we love. And it's nice. It, it makes me feel like I'm not alone on the road when I'm driving. So, thank you so much, man. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I look forward to, uh, like, you know, I, you, you are some of the, uh, the only human contact I've had this year. <laughs> and of course it's still over, over, uh, uh over the internet. So yeah. but it, it was, it was nice. I mean, you know, I've been stuck in the same house with my wife and she doesn't want to talk about drums. Yeah. So she, she's probably enjoying me being gone all the time too. <laughs> yeah. She's probably yeah. enjoying not, not listening to me trying to be like, Oh my God, watch what this guy did. You know, like, so it's two hours. Um, it's two hours. I got freedom that I'm not having to listen to them talk about drums and me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. awesome. yeah. You gotta be, well, you gotta be, yeah. You gotta be nice. She's running the ABC right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, she, yeah. she runs the house. Yeah. I can't, I can't step yeah. out of line at all. So, all right, Mike. So I've got a, uh, so you're going to get your, your, uh, your shirt here in the mail. Finally get a chance. Yeah, that's all, awesome. Uh, all, the, all the, all guests that are on the podcast get that shirt. They, you know, I don't, Love they don't it. make that's it available awesome. to anyone else, but the, you know, folks that come on the podcast, so you definitely see a, uh, you see somebody else wearing it, then you know that they were on the podcast at some point. So, um, awesome. Man. We're uh, part yeah. of the elite. Yeah, I like it. That's right. It's a, you know, it's a, a secret, <laughs> secret club or something, you know, it's kind of like fight club, but not, <laughs> not, not, not like fight club. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate, you know, um, looks like a lot of folks kind of chat, you know, jumped in there and not a whole lot of, you know, questions to hit you up on, which is, I guess they, they went easy on you. Um, but That's then, all good. I appreciate the time. So, um, definitely, you know, two hours flew by actually. Just can't believe it's, uh, yeah. that quick. Yeah. Yeah. Same talking, here. Talking drums yeah. and, and, uh, hearing your, you know, your perspective on performing in shows, um, um, I'm, don't believe so um maybe you know one other guest you know but you know you're obviously very heavily into the you know the show performance aspect of you kind of you know like i said feeling back a little bit to kind of understand it's a different performance than just playing in a bar band um how important all the other aspects go on into the performance of a show rather than just the music mm-hmm. exactly so, yeah. yeah yeah well i mean it's we we you know, uh, I've been fortunate and lucky and, um, in, in my career, you know, and it's one of those things when, when you see these experiences, you know, it's, it's hard not to talk about them and it's not hard to uh, apply them to the other areas of your life or, or your performance, you know, just, and just being aware that like, you know, there, there's, you don't always see everything that's going on. You know, there's always something else happening that you're just, just slightly out of sight, you know? Right. Um, and you just got to be aware that how you like every step you take might affect someone differently. So you just got to kind of walk a, walk a life of peace, I guess. So I don't know. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Thank you so much, man. This was, this was a lot of fun and yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll tell you what, if, um, if you don't make it up to St. Augustine, uh, before we meet up and I come down there, I'll bring you, I'll bring you a bottle of the rum from yeah. the distillery okay. there and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll swap some bottles. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. Yes. Well, thank you so much, man. This has been a pleasure. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks Mike. All right. And thanks all for listening. This is Paul where the back beats me spirits. Thanks all. If you like what we're doing here at drums and rums, we have a Patreon link to help with setting up interviews and creating content that you find entertaining and interesting. Also, if you'd like to sponsor advertise on the podcast 
or if you want to come on as a guest to promote something related to the show, email me at info at drumsandrums.com. Lastly, please leave a rating or review over on iTunes or on your favorite podcast location to let me know you like the podcast and then it also lets others know it's a podcast that they should listen to. Thanks again for her listening, where the backbeats meet the spirits.